Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is that according to Entrepreneurship Magazine, there are 13 habits of successful people. And these would be entrepreneur people, obviously. And the top five, well, we'll call it six because I like it. They focus on minutes, not hours. They focus on only one thing at a time. They don't use to-do lists. They beat procrastination with time travel. They make it home for dinner and they use a notebook. Kind of simple things, but it's probably not what you would have thought they would be. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Now, today's guest is someone who's been on Bulletproof Radio before, someone that you've doubtless heard of because it is none other than Tim Ferriss, New York Times bestselling author of 4-Hour Workweek, 4-Hour Body, 4-Hour Chef, and his new book, which we're going to talk about today, called Tools of Titans. Uh, Tim also runs a very successful podcast called, surprisingly, The Tim Ferriss Show. And it's been downloaded like 1,000 gazillion times and is one of the top 20 iTunes podcasts. And... My favorite description of you, Tim, is you've been called the Oprah of audio. <laughs> it's got to be the resemblance. It must be the resemblance. <laughs> I have special moisturizer for that. Nice. 
Now, you've discovered the, the podcasting uh, benefit, which is that you get to talk to cool people and ask them stuff you would ask them anyway, right? Right, exactly. Uh, that's why I do Bulletproof Radio, because like, I just wanted to talk to these dudes and these women who are just doing cool stuff. You went out and you sort of distilled the knowledge from these people into to tools of titans. So you've talked to about 200 people and, and boiled it down to like, let's copy successful people. And it's kind of a kind of a cool concept. And what I want to know is, out of all of the things that you learned in this book, the single most important one, what was it? Uh, single most important one was probably the answer to what would you put on a billboard if you wanted to get a message to millions of people. And the person was a palliative care physician named B.J. Miller. He's a triple amputee who's helped more than a thousand people die. He's associated with UCSF. Wow. And his answer was, don't believe everything you think. <laughs> so, if I had, cool. so if I had to boil down how these 200 or so people have excelled, gotten to the top 1% in their fields, which are across the entire spectrum, I mean, very, very different from super athletes to these physicians to black market biochemists like Patrick Arnold to special oh, yeah. ops folks, etc. There are quite a few shared habits. And uh, they all, though, come down to in a, I, or sit on top of, I would say, a belief system. And the belief system is that of testing assumptions. So there are questions these people ask. There are deep-rooted kind of operating system level philosophies that they hold close to their chest. And they almost all come down to testing the basic assumptions or the conventional wisdoms, which end up to be very often completely off base. Uh, so don't believe everything that you think is, I would say, uh, the thread that runs through all of it. it it's, it's really good to see how strong your powers of self-deception are. Uh, because once you start thinking it, you're going to reinforce it. Yeah. And, and sometimes sometimes you're wrong, and it can be disastrously wrong, right? Oh, sure, sure, yeah. So there's something, and this is uh, following, this is for my personal life and my entire life, but something that I've started telling myself in the last year or two years, really, which relates to some deep exploration and research with psychedelics also, but... Mm -hmm. That could be a whole separate seven-hour conversation. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and we, we can get to that if you'd like, but uh, don't retreat into story. So this phrase is yeah. something I repeat to myself a lot. Don't retreat into story. And mm -hmm. on top of that, I've spent quite a bit of time with Tony Robbins over the last few years. And one of his principles that I think has been most powerful me, for me in the last few years is, is, is moving from state to story to strategy, meaning... Before you sit down to problem solve or look at a grand challenge ahead of you or a goal, optimizing your state. So optimizing your physiology first, which then allows you to tell yourself an enabling story where you see different opportunities instead of just problems, and only then deciding on or trying to come up with a strategy. So that state, story, strategy uh, is related to the don't retreat into story. Because if you, if you wake up in a funk or you're in a depressive period and you then have a disabling story about yourself or the world, your strategies are going to be B, play, B player strategies at best, right? And they'll probably yeah. be really junior varsity. So that, that's been a, a good little soundbite and progression that I've used a lot as well. 
it's kind of cool that we get to go deep on stuff like this. When I do affirmations, and I, I actually do a lot of them in the neurofeedback stuff that I, I do, the 40 years of Zen, like, like we write really powerful ones. And if you look at like many different spiritual teachers, a lot of times they like phrase it in a positive way. So how would you phrase don't retreat into story and like what do you do instead of not doing something? What do you do instead? So this is, this is, this is I know, a common uh, preference to have a, a positive do as opposed to uh, yeah, I'm, using I'm just, the do not. I, I, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't do it in my head. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the don't retreat into story has worked very well for me as a, it has, like okay. a stop sign, <laughs> right. which, uh, which, which has been exceptionally useful as a pattern interrupt. If I had to convert that into a positive like, affirmation, yeah, it would probably be look through the, look through the right lens, perhaps. Oh, there you go. Or like to tell yourself the right story? Am yeah, I getting the vibe? Yeah, maybe tell yourself the right story or more so look at what's in front of you. So really trying to, to the extent possible, non-reactively without mm. emotional baggage that okay. we've developed through trauma or mis- past mistakes, yeah. assess the situation dispassionately. So if someone on the phone, for instance, appears to be very curt and rude to you, don't assume that they have some personal vendetta against you and they're trying to ruin your day. Maybe they're just hungry. Maybe they need a sandwich. Maybe they're thirsty. <laughs> Maybe they need totally. to go to the bathroom and their boss won't let them until the next, uh, the next hour clicks through. Whatever it might be. So I, I would say look through the right, the right lens is probably if I had to pick one as an adjunct, I would okay. use that. That really helps me understand the the don't retreat in your story, which which makes good sense. But that that's powerful advice. I I believe listeners will will benefit from from doing that because yeah, if you believe your own lies, man, you're you're not going to like your life. No, and uh, there's there's actually a great book called Radical Acceptance, and uh, the title sounds very woo woo. And I resisted it. It was recommended several times to me, and then it was recommended twice, uh, both by a guest on the podcast and then by a friend of mine who's a neuroscience PhD out of UCSF. And then last... Is that Dan Kraft or something? No, no. It was, it's actually uh, Daria Pino, now Daria Pino okay. Rose, who worked with Adam Ghazali at the Ghazali Lab. And uh, on top of that, then Maria Popova, who's just an incredible woman who runs brain pickings, uh, told me that Tara Brock changed her life, perhaps more than any other person, because she listens to her guided meditations each morning. In fact, the same guided meditation, which is the 2010 Smile Meditation, you can find it for, for free online, but the, Tara is the author of Radical Acceptance, and Radical Acceptance is very good at helping you to contend with any, let's call them handicapping driving emotions. So my, one of my reflexive driving emotions for a long time and still to a certain extent now is anger. Like I use aggression and anger, yeah. and I've utilized it as a tool. I've felt it to be in times an asset, but uh, everything in its excess becomes its opposite, of course. So that help becomes a major hindrance. And I've wanted to curtail that and handle it, but trying to suffocate it and push it away never worked. It always came back tenfold. And, <laughs> and the more you push, the more it pushes. Yeah, right? exactly. So the, the, the book Radical Acceptance I found was very, very uh, helpful. Tara Brock's a, a well-known meditation teacher and Buddhist thinker. Her Dharma talks are really good. But uh, that would be another example of learning to contend with and in some ways work with the the stories that you've accumulated that are no longer serving you, that you tell yourself. So, so I'm, I'm going to ask a question that may sound odd, but I don't think it'll sound odd to you, but to listeners it may, but just bear with me for a minute. Okay. 
a while back, I think it might have been at your South by Southwest talk, uh, like your first one, uh, you mentioned something about how you had some sort of birth trauma. I don't remember what it was. Yeah. Uh, do you think, and, and the reason I'm asking this is I was born with a cord wrapped around my neck. I, I had to do a lot of like self reprogramming because my story was like the world is a threatening place and I should kill everyone who's going to even mess with me a little bit. And like that was costing me a lot biologically. And I, I don't have that program anymore, but it was like 10 years of digging and, you know, reprogramming and all that. Do you think that that's why you went to anger or do you think there's other reasons? I think there are probably other reasons. It may be a factor. I don't know. I was born premature. I was in the ICU for a long time Uh, and had to have blood transfusions. I I couldn't oxygenate my blood properly and my my left lung still has issues Uh, and actually uh, have a lot of thermoregulatory problems as a result of that. So I've I've been hospitalized for heat stroke a couple of times. I think the, the perhaps consequence of that that has led to using anger and rage as a coping mechanism is up until about sixth grade, I was very, very small. I was extremely small and just got my ass kicked on a daily basis. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> got my ass kicked on a daily basis. And the the way that I was able in a few instances at least to fend that off was just by going 10 times batshit crazy and mm-hmm. just being more of a hassle than the other puny kids <laughs> were getting their asses kicked. <laughs> But I had to go completely insane and turn into a banshee. So perhaps that was put into yeah. a container and uh, never quite dissipated. But that's that's also speculation. I, th- I think that if you look at some of the males in my family too, uh, and I, I don't want to uh, absolve myself of responsibility, certainly, but it, there seems to be just some genetic hardwiring that makes us a little a little quick. A little quick on the draw, and uh, who knows? You know, so maybe I'm closer to the Rottweiler than the Labrador of the human species. I don't know. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that's a, by the way a great tweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, did you learn more uh, uh, from from writing tools of Titans than you did from the discussions themselves? Or were the discussions like really meaty? Or or was it like the processing of the discussion that really brought the knowledge forth? Yeah, the discussions discussions were very helpful in and of themselves. And I clarified a lot of my own thinking, talking through things in these two to three hour conversations. But what I wasn't able to do, and in fact, I never planned on writing this book. So I wanted to put together a cliff notes for myself of all of the most practical, tactical recommendations of my guests just for myself. So I took a month off and uh, took my, my parents to Paris because my mom had never been, my dad hadn't been since the 60s, to digest, to go through 10,000 plus pages of transcripts, to go through my handwritten notes and Evernote notes on all the things that the guests had taught me afterwards once we became friends and to create this this condensed distilled version just for me as a reference book and then I got to you know 250,000 words and I was like what the, okay if I'm <laughs> going to go to this trouble uh, I might as well just polish it up and share it and this is something my, my fans have been asking me for and the reason that or I shouldn't say the reason but one of the ways in which it became very interesting is that I was able to spot patterns across a two-year arc and so i would say oh my god like that weird thing that ed cook the memory champion from the uk did when he was feeling overwhelmed that related to looking at the stars or thinking about the stars is exactly what bj miller this md i mentioned does himself and they were just a year and a half apart and separated by an ocean and i wouldn't have put them together had i not been 
combing through all of the details. Or noticing that the the chili pad, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this device, but Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was one of the first guys to launch the all right, chili well, pad. Well there you go. Yeah. So the chili pad came up multiple times for a handful of folks and Lo and behold, you know, actually changing the sleep temperature from underneath can have a huge impact. And uh, or documentaries, weird documentaries like the Up series. It's sometimes called the Seven Up series from the UK, where they track the same people every seven years from something like I'm making this up, but like third grade until 50 years old. Yeah, I know that study. And right? uh, so this that that documentary series was brought up multiple times, but I didn't remember noticing that because they were so spread out. So for me, stepping out a bit and looking at the 3,000 foot view or 30,000 foot view enabled me to see the matrix or the, the, the patterns and the emergent properties and all these weird things that I don't think I would have been able to, to pinpoint or use properly had I not done it. So it was really, it was really this is the first book that was fun for me to put together. Uh, I find writing really, really difficult. It's not true for some people. I know Malcolm Gladwell just loves writing. So the, the, the tougher it is, the more entertaining and fun it is for him. I'm not like that. I think that that tends to be journalists who are accustomed to daily deadlines uh, or tight turnarounds who develop that type of uh, psychology or come into it that way. So there's a survivorship bias. But for me, writing is hard. Yeah. It's really punishing. And this book was wow. the first one that was fun to put together. And I noticed as I was writing the book, this is kind of cool on a very meta level, is that I got calmer and I got more effective. Mm -hmm. And the process improved for writing the book as I was picking up all of these bits and pieces and absorbing them. It was really wild. It's the first time I've had that kind of meta experience. Uh, and it, it just made sense at that point for myself and for, I think, other people to break it up in the way that I did into sort of the healthy, wealthy, and wise. Because what I what I also began to wonder as I was going through this for myself, maybe I should include this in an updated version of the four hour work week. Oh, maybe I should include this in an updated version of four hour body. Yeah. Oh, maybe I should include this in the updated version of the four hour chef. And I was like, well, look, if healthy, wealthy, and wise is good enough for Ben Franklin, then why don't I just effectively take everything I would update my last three books with and put it into Tools of Titans. So that's effectively what it is for me as well. It's kind of an update for all three books at once. Yeah, that's a good way to position it. I, I like that. Yeah, how did how do you make the how do you make the cut to be a titan? Like, what what makes you a titan? Well, I, th I mean, to to me, I think being a titan is uh, twofold. You need to reach the top of your field. So let's just call it the top one percent, uh, the top tier of your field, however that is defined, and you need to have overcome many obstacles or defeated many opponents to get there. So if you're just part of the lucky sperm club <laughs> and have <laughs> yeah. inherited hundreds of millions of dollars and have happened to somehow make your way through nepotism to be the CEO of a gigantic company, that does not qualify you. You have, yeah. you have to have endured hardship. And uh, one of the reasons I decided to make this a book and not just keep it for myself is that there's this really dangerous and unfortunate delusion and illusion out there, which is the people on the magazine covers have it figured out, and I no, can't and, and I can't do <laughs> what they do because I'm this flawed, normal human being. And yeah. when you start looking at these profiles, and, and the book, it's a long book, as all my books are. It's like 704 pages, but about 350, 400 of it is 
based on the past interviews. The rest is all brand new stuff from new guests, from past guests, from me. And I wanted to really underscore the fact that all of these titans, these so-called superheroes that we think of as invincible and flawless creatures. No, they're just like us. They're walking around with their weaknesses. They're walking around with their insecurities. They have extremely tough days, just like we do. And in almost every case, they've simply figured out their one or two, maybe, right? One or two core strengths that they can then develop habits and routines around yeah. and coping mechanisms around. And I find that very encouraging. And in the process of interviewing a lot of these folks, it's really helped build my confidence or at least willingness to try new things and to really stick my neck out there. Uh, because you realize that they all, all these people have some version of the same fear or fears that we all do. And that's very, very important because if people view hero du jour as someone they could never emulate because that person started with a hundred times better materials in every possible respect and doesn't have any of the same fears or weaknesses or insecurities or bad days, they're never going to take step one towards improving in that general direction for the most part. And uh, I want to completely dismantle and remove that excuse because it's an illusion. <laughs> so don't believe everything you think once again. When you talk to some like really successful people, a, a friend of mine, a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley named Ulas, had a you know, profoundly poor beginning in India, and, and he's you know a, a major power player uh, at one of the big VC firms, and and you you see this over and over, but you don't know the backstory, or you only know what you were told, and and so you've had a chance to hang out with with some of these people. Uh, and I've I've a different set of but similar you know, very successful business people people in in YPO, that young presidents organization. I I think you have some connection there too. I'm yeah, not sure. yeah. I've done a couple of events with them. Okay, cool. So I'm like a member of this, but they're like so are, are just like you were saying. You made me think of it like like no no nepotism here. And when you talk to these guys, like some of them are are really profoundly unhappy, but they're like yeah, I've got a company. It's worth tens of millions, and you know I have a helicopter or whatever. But like they, they're working and they're struggling and they have like their crappy days. And I think, especially for your audience, the people who are listening to this, uh, it, it really, it, it's a, a service you're providing them uh, by, by pointing that out, Tim, because uh, there aren't really any superheroes like that. There, some people feel less pain and some people have more skills than others, uh, but everyone works, right? Yeah, everyone works or has work to do. And just to yeah. underscore something you said, uh, I'm not going to name names here, but a friend of mine who is, I would say, a very uh, content and reflective, let's just call it happy guy at this point, it wasn't always the case, extremely high achiever. I mean, sort of a, na a brand name type folk. He went to this dinner in Silicon Valley and everyone at the table had at least $200 million. <laughs> right. And they're drinking $10,000 bottles of wine that are just kind of stacked up by the hundreds in the basement. And uh, they were, in listening to the dinner, he said, you would assume that they were, they'd just been laid off from Burger King and had five kids and couldn't pay their mortgage. They were so <laughs> deeply unhappy and yeah. so depressing to be around because of their pessimism or cynicism, I would say even worse yeah. in a way, that... Uh, it highlights 
the importance for me, and this is something I've really tried to work on in the last few years and why this book is, I think, very different in a sense to the four-hour work week. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't controvert any of it. It doesn't contradict it, but it's an important supplement. The last section, this wise section, mm-hmm. focuses a lot on how to program yourself so that you're taking care of not just the achievement piece, the type A, set goals, knock them down, onto the next thing, but also the appreciation, gratitude component, which is much more present tense. And I remember hearing at one point that depression was being stuck in the past and anxiety was being stuck in the future. Well, exactly right. So if you're stuck in the future, as many people are, if you are good at goal setting and goal achieving, you are probably spending a high percentage of your time in the future, which is why I think, or at least partly why so many successful people are highly anxious and take Xanax. I mean, in in a disturbing, but not too surprising now, percentage of CEOs I know in Silicon Valley uh, are on Xanax and a whole slew of different anti-anxiety medications. And um, I think that is in part because they're taking care of only half of the puzzle, the other half Mm -hmm. being present tense, which would include different types of, say, meditative or mindfulness practices. So the most common or one of the most common patterns across all of these world-class performers is they have some type of, let's call it mindfulness practice. And by that, I'll define that because I think it's a word thrown around a lot. I'll just say mindfulness practice is something that it is a rehearsal or practice or routine that helps you to develop present state focus and an awareness of your thoughts. That's it. And it can take many forms. So you have some people like Arnold Schwarzenegger who did transcendental meditation for a year, twice a day, stopped and then saw persistent effects for decades. And he took, mm-hmm. he took the sensibility, the mantra approach and basically translated it, transferred it to his workouts. Then you find people like I mentioned Maria Popova who listens to the same guided meditation audio every morning from Tara Brock. Uh, then you have, let's just say Vipassana and so on, but it can take, or Headspace app, whatever you might want to use. But then there are a lot of these folks who listen to single tracks of music on repeat. It came up at least a, <laughs> a dozen times. And Matt Mullenweg, who is thought of as the lead developer of WordPress, which now powers more than 25% of the internet, he, he wrote a large portion of the, of the code base listening to the same track or tracks on repeat also following a polyphasic sleep schedule. Uh, yeah, that's crazy pants. <laughs> yeah, and um, it came up over and over again. Uh, Alex Honnold, this superstar phenom of rock climbing, listens to the Last of the Mohicans soundtrack over and over and over <laughs> and over again, which I had to buy just to be like, I've seen the movie maybe 15 years ago, but let's try it out. Tim, I'm glad you said that. I, I never thought of it that way, but there's, yeah, there's one soundtrack I've probably heard 20,000 times. Um, it's it's like a 1994 weird mashup of North African and electronic dance music stuff. And I listen to it because no matter how much I listen to it, it's too complex to comprehend the whole thing. So your, your brain goes, and then stops thinking. Yeah. A lot of my books are written in that way. I go into a flow state, but I have to have like good music on to go into the flow state to write. Yeah. And then writing is like a release for me. Yeah. Otherwise, though, it's painful. Mm-hmm. But it's like if I don't write, I'll be unhappy. But if I do write without the right mental state, it doesn't work, right? Yeah, no, exactly. So if I listen to, I've been listening to, you might actually like this, but Beats Antique is a band. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I love Beats Antique. Beats Antique okay. is amazing. So I, when I wrote this book, I listened to 
uh, three sets of music for sort of morning, afternoon, evening for different um, physiological states and some were from winding down, some were from winding up. And uh, with the, in the case of, say, Beats Antique or any of these things, I think that it's, it's, it's exceptionally similar to using a mantra in TM. You're effectively turning yeah. on the equivalent of a, of a thought white noise machine so that your monkey mind stops bouncing around in your head like a ricocheting bullet. And so, so these types of tricks are, are really, really common. Uh, and I have to tell you, man, the, the, the tools in say wise, for instance, I would have in my twenties thought that they would make you weaker, that they would, that that they would, they would, they would detract from your ability to be competitive. And what I've realized is for probably 15 years, I never recovered properly and mentally and emotionally. Physically, I was journaling all of my workouts, tracking my strength gains. That mm-hmm. I had covered, but it was compartmentalized. And that if, if, if you're really driven in type A and you're not willing to think of doing something called meditation because it has a terrible brand and <laughs> needs a new you know, brain bath or something, it just needs a new makeover because it's carrying so much baggage, uh, then you can think of it as non-sleep recovery. So... If you do this for 20 minutes, you will get the equivalent of like two to three hours of sleep in terms of restorative effect. Uh, and Just to reiterate that point, there was a time when I said, I'm going to become a morning person. So I woke up at 5 a.m. every day for two years. I, biologically, I'm not a morning person. Uh, the, the power of when, the, the recent book that just came out about, about chronobiology, uh, that really helped me to see, you know, I, I'm a night person and, and I'm happiest and I'm actually biologically healthier if I stay up later and, and wake up later. But I did this for, for five, for a long time. And the deal was I'm still going to stay up late. So I cut my sleep, but I found an hour of breathing and meditation in the morning at 5 a.m. from five to six was equal to two hours of lost sleep. And you could do that indefinitely, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the recovery piece you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And if, if, if we're defining mindfulness also as, and we don't have to dwell on on this 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 piece of it because we could certainly go into all the crazy physical stuff as well, oh, yeah. <laughs> all the drugs and all the other good all the <laughs> we'll other get there, all yeah. the other goodies. But uh, the, anything that involves counting, also this came up, can act very effectively as a mindfulness tool. Uh, again, because it is it is making you aware of your thoughts. It could be an external mantra. And it is, it is focusing you in the present state. Any type of lifting with cadence, so let's say you're lifting five seconds up, five seconds down, two seconds up, four seconds down, mm-hmm. very effective. This is what Arnold Schwarzenegger noticed. Or let's just say you're swimming and you're breathing on every third stroke, or you're keeping track of your how many strokes you're using per yeah. length because you're trying to optimize your, your sort of stride length, so to speak. Uh, like that will also contribute to a mindfulness effect. In four hour work week, you mentioned art of living, breathing exercises, don't you? Uh, I might've, I might've. Yeah. Did it's you been, it's been a while those? since I read four hour work week myself. <laughs> I, I respect that. Yeah. Uh, did you practice art of living? Uh, maybe it's the lack of sleep. Maybe it's the amount of caffeine I've consumed today, but I, uh, I am not, it, it is mind. not ringing a bell for uh, me. Well, the, the reason I'm, uh, the reason that the Kenry is it's a set of breathing exercises where you have to always count. Like you do 20 uh, of these and you put your hands in this position, you put your hands in this position. 
I did it for five years with a bunch of like uber successful Silicon Valley entrepreneurs came out of India. Uh, and it, it, that thing about counting, it's so legit. Yeah. If you breathe without counting, it doesn't work. But so I, I figured I've never, that, I've actually never, from. I've never heard of it. So I'll check it out. No, that's, right. that, that, that's not me. So you're basically doing like a super slow motion Macarena, but counting as you do it. And breathing. Uh, well, you, you, you hold, you hold it here for like 20 seconds or something. Oh, okay. All right. I am going to go back and I swear, like I can see it in my, my memory. Maybe, like maybe. I, I bet. Uh, yeah. it, it was like a one, it was a, and there was other things like this that are also effective. It, was it might, it might. I was guessing you must've taken it. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, uh, anyway. oh, you know what, you know what I think you're thinking of is yeah. there's a portion on, I think it's in the filling the void chapter where I talk about different types of retreats that I might recommend. Yes. That's where it there came you go. From. But it wasn't the breathing exercise okay. specifically. It was, uh, the whole retreat. It, exactly. There were a set of retreats and I also talked about spirit rock and silent retreats. Yes. And then among those was. Yard living. That's correct. Well, your your caffeine problem uh, was overcome there because that was exactly where it was. So ni- nice job remembering. And I, I totally was guessing you must have. It was gone, only so. 2005 when I wrote that. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> remarkable. So some of those memory hacks are going to be working. Yeah. Tim's actually right about that counting thing. In fact, it's such a big deal that I worked with my friends at Biohacked in order to create a new kind of brain training. We partnered with Bill Harris from Centerpoint, a guy who's been a guest on Bulletproof Radio multiple times, who's spoken on the Bulletproof stage, one of the top brain hacking audio experts out there. And we're using Bill's technology from Centerpoint to put your brain into an altered state. And then we have you do a counting memory training exercise. It's fascinating because when you put yourself in an altered state using sound frequencies, an altered state where normally you can't remember anything, you're actually not supposed to be able to remember anything during that time, but that's where creativity and intuition and things like that happen. With this new NeuroMiner software, you can actually mine what's going on in your nervous system because we train you to remember what happens when you're in different brain states. It takes about 20 minutes a day. You do it every day for about a month, and then you do periodic brush-ups. For listeners of Bulletproof Radio, you can head on over to biohacked.com. That's B-I-O-H-A-C-K-E-D.com. And if you use the coupon code BULLETPROOF, you can save 20 bucks off a NeuroMiner subscription. It's an annual subscription. It's all web-based. It's very easy to use. You basically put on a blindfold, put on your earphones, and you do the memory exercises while listening to these sound files. It's amazing what happens to your creativity and your intuition. New kind of memory training, and it's exactly what Tim and I are just talking about here. It's counting and it's using counting and other technologies to get you in the altered state where your creativity and intuition happen. Biohacked.com, and the coupon code is BULLETPROOF to save 20 bucks off a subscription to NeuroMiner. Now, what do, what do Titans do in the morning? Okay, so there, there's uh, good news, good news. It's not good news, bad news. So uh, we, you were just talking about trying to become a morning person. So there are general trends that you see in the interviews and the sample size that I have, which is about 200, maybe a few more. And as far as what they do in the morning, the the good news on top of that is that for every pattern that you spot, there is someone who does the exact opposite thing, which I find very reassuring because you, when I, when I remember when I first started looking at the patterns, I was like, Jocko Willink, uh, like superstar, revered Navy SEAL commander wakes up at 4.30 every morning. And then I went to the next person and I saw 4.30 in the morning and I was like, 
oh no, I don't want to wake up at four thirty in the morning. And then I came across BJ Novak, who's like, you know what? Like I stumble out of bed. It takes me until eleven o'clock to really kick into proper gear before I can do anything productive. And I'm paraphrasing here, but the exceptions make the rule in a, in a sense. So in the morning, I will tell you that I, I can give you some of of uh, some of the things I've picked up, so I could talk about what I do in part in the morning, which is reflective of a lot of what I've picked up. The, the meta observation is that if you were to ask what routine is the most important to have if I want to emulate these titans, I would just say the important thing isn't the, the routine that you follow, it's that you have a routine you follow. So every, almost every single person at least in a few areas of their lives, including the mornings for many of them, put as many things on autopilot as possible. So for instance, Scott Adams, creator of Dilbert, he'll wake up at exactly the same time, he'll walk down the stairs, he will eat a particular type of, I think, builder's bar, same flavor every day, press a button on his coffee machine, have his coffee cup, the exact same cup of coffee every day, and so forth and so on, so that he's not in any way expending his limited number of mental calories and decision-making willpower on things that don't matter and don't correlate to his unique strengths. So that you observe over and over and over again. I will say one thing <laughs> that, a, that a fan actually observed. It's funny when I ask people, What's, what, what do you do in the first 90 minutes of your day? And no one says, I take a shit. Like it never came up. <laughs> it never came up. And I'm like, wow, these people are cyborgs. They never go to the bathroom. So I think there's some artful omission going on. But yeah, no one says like, oh, I wake up and I go to the bathroom and I swipe and right. I, I swipe right on <laughs> Tinder for a half hour. That doesn't come up very often. But um, there are a few things that do come up a lot. So morning meditation before any inputs is very yeah. common. And that could be 10 minutes on something like Calm or Headspace. Uh, quite a few people also use Headspace to go to sleep. Uh, then uh, you will have, let's say, the 20-minute TM people. Uh, for whatever reason, and again, I don't know the explanation for this, but uh, a high percentage of the men end up gravitating towards transcendental meditation, and a high percentage of the women end up gravitating towards Vipassana meditation. So go figure. That, I, yeah. I, I see that too. And we look at their brainwaves in, in the 40 Years of Zen uh, program and the people who do TM it's interesting some of them have like profound brainwaves and some of them have like flat brainwaves like it's like like you, there's a way to do it wrong and if you're doing it wrong and you don't know it you're like oh uh, <laughs> but we see some really powerful brains that way and, and the pasana it's so intense for 10 days right yeah. like that, it's hard to get 10 days off oh yeah to do a people. retreat is intense I mean and uh, yeah. there are exceptions like Sam Harris who I think is an expert meditator and has very good guided meditations uh, tends more towards the vipassana side of things uh then, uh, okay, so here's one pattern in 45-year-old or older males, uh, not eating breakfast, very common. Not eating any breakfast at all or one meal per day, primarily, say, an early-ish dinner, like 6 p.m., 7 p.m. And uh, that came up over and over and over again, whether it was uh, or an extremely minimal breakfast. So you'd have general Stanley of Crystal, primarily one meal per day, Wim Hof, Dutch daredevil, yeah. same story. And you just go down the line, Malcolm Gladwell. And it's a long list. They're all male, uh, the, the ones who skip breakfast or skip two out of three meals of the day. Uh, that was very, very exceptionally common. Uh, high percentage 
make their beds in the morning. And keep in mind, a lot of these people are extreme, <laughs> extremely rich. And this one came up for me in two ways. And it seems like such a small thing. Now, this is a small thing that makes a big difference <laughs> to the extent that even when I'm in a hotel, I will put do not disturb on the door for the entire time I'm at the hotel, generally. I don't like people touching I do that too. I don't like people touching my stuff. Yeah. And I will make my own bed. And it's not because they won't make it. Uh, it's because, uh, well, there are a few reasons. So let me backpedal or just rewind. So Dandapani, this former Indian monk I met at one point in Toronto, and he, after listening to me give a presentation, talk about some of my challenges, he said, you should start making your bed. And I was like... <laughs> What? what? <laughs> and, uh, he, and he explained his rationale, and I think it's very well explained by, uh, there's, a, there's a military figure, I think he's a Navy, former Navy commander named uh, McRaven, and he gave this presentation in a commencement speech, and he talked about why making your bed was so important, and there, there are a few elements. Number one, uh, and there are a few of these he mentioned, a few of these are observations of mine. So the first is you're starting with exerting control over one thing you have control over. There are many aspects of your life that will be subject to external factors, fortune outside of your control, right? This is within your sphere of control. So you're first exerting control and exerting order on one thing that you have total control over. Uh, if you start your day there, chances are you're also going to end your day, bookend, with seeing something that you've accomplished, even if the entire day goes sideways. So you build this momentum with that first act. And what, what I've observed is that for people who spend a lot of time in their home environment, external clutter tends to create internal clutter. Even if it's just a little bit tussled and things are kind of thrown around, uh, if you are exposed to seeing that on a regular basis, I find that it creates an internal disorder. Uh, and that might only be 5% off, but that 5%, over the course of 100 days, 300 days, adds up. So for me, uh, it has become this tiny thing that allows me to bookend my day, and I go straight from that to meditation. And it has a, 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 an incredibly disproportionate positive effect <laughs> on my days. It sounds so ridiculous to say, but if McRaven's saying it, if Dandapani's saying it, and I've talked yeah. to a number of people, these are people with hundreds of millions of dollars who will make their own beds in their hotels when they stay in places. Okay, maybe there's something to it. And, and uh, so a big part of, of vetting things for Tools of Titans is just testing everything. And I tested everything that's in there. Yeah, and no matter how absurd, if I saw it as a pattern, I'm like, okay, that seems ridiculous. I don't see how it could work, why it would work. But if it came up, five times, oddly enough, people are in different countries that don't know one another. Fuck it. I'll try it. And lo and behold, who knew? And I should point out also, this is not a Four Seasons situation. I'm not spending a lot of time on this. The sheets are still a disaster. I just take the blanket and straighten that out on top and then <laughs> okay. put the pillows in some symmetrical fashion. So it literally takes me 30 seconds to do. Uh, it is not very involved at all. I, I could... Now I can see it. I, I you made, you remind me of a of a trauma I probably have to resolve. Uh, when I was a kid, my mom was you know make make your bed. Uh, it, was, yeah. I'll, I'll, it was I'll pay you a nickel to make your bed, and I looked at him like, 
no way. <laughs> and she's like, a dime. I'm like, no way. And, and I was like, there's no amount of money you could pay me to make me make my bed because I just don't want to make my bed. Yeah, there and is that. I, to this day, I don't, but maybe I, maybe I should. I, I, well, the, uh, the, the, the nice thing about all this stuff is if you have a buffet of options to choose from, and mm-hmm. let's just say you study two successful people, or in this case, 200 plus elite performers, you don't have to do it all. So I have, let's just say, four or five things that I try to do or I would like to do in an ideal morning. But if I check off three of those, then the likelihood of me having what I would consider a successful day is 3x higher. Um, so you have you know, the making the bed, and then I will meditate. That's, that's step number two. And that, that takes different forms. I, 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 I do it in different ways, whether it's the guided meditation, like the smile meditation I mentioned, or listening to a Sam Harris typically doing a transcendental meditation session at least a few times a week because it's not gear dependent, which I like to have uh, as just a form of adaptability. Uh, Then I'll have uh, any type of blood draw (laughs) or urinalysis that I would want to do first thing in the morning. That tends to be more frequent if I'm uh, aiming for ketosis or fasting in some fashion. Usually it's, it's uh, looking at my millimolar ketone concentration. Uh, any type of supplements or drugs that might be better absorbed on an empty stomach or low mm-hmm. uh, glucose slash insulin levels. And then uh, I'm doing primarily tea these days. And uh, very often that'll include either some type of, say, uh, MCT, like the XCT, uh, which I have at my house, uh, or some type That's of, cool. yeah, yeah, caprylic acid of some other type or coconut oil, but it's generally going to be heavily MCT uh, or beta-hydroxybutyrate weighted. Mm-hmm. I, I looked at launching one. I just synthesized my own ketones three years ago, ketone esters. Yeah. And I can't find a manufacturer, Tim, anywhere that doesn't hit alarmingly high but, but still legal levels of formaldehyde. Hmm. So if you're doing multiple doses, seriously, like like pay attention to that because you know about metabolic pathways from your, yeah, yeah. your body hacking stuff. Yeah, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. I know yeah. I know that it's based on a formulation. Now, of course, the formulation and the manufacturing are different, but a, a formulation developed at least in part, I think, wholly by uh, Dominic D'Agostino. And, oh yeah. Uh, so the formulation wouldn't be the issue, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I definitely, it's, the, it's, it's a, a manufacturing, manufacturing issue. issue. It, yeah, it's not it a. It's not the molecule. It's the the impurities present. The, yeah. There's a reason that there isn't a bulletproof brand of ketone salt. I've been like salivating over this. I don't. I I can't get it to the standards where I'd want to put my name on it. Yeah. Uh, this just is, be be aware of that. Yeah. This is something, and I also have straight from the lab of Dom ketones, yeah. but that's the drinking diesel kind. Yeah. Uh, I, I have those too. Yeah. <laughs> so this is generally, if I'm taking something like that, it's going to be. Uh, generally speaking, no more than two or three servings a week because I'm very often doing it during, say, a three-day fast where I want to see if I can simply boost my pre-existing ketone levels by, say, even 1 to 1.5 millimolars additional. Yep. So I'm I'm also doing sometimes half servings. But anyway... Cool. That's part of it. Uh, and then journaling. Journaling is a very consistent habit among uh, uh, dozens of the people that I interviewed. Also tends to happen in the morning. And the journaling can sound and is very nebulous if you don't explain what version I'm referring to. 
there, there are many different types. So morning pages along the lines of Julia Cameron, The Artist's Way, three longhand, free oh, form yeah, uh, pages a day came up repeatedly for writers, uh, specifically entertainment writers. Uh, so Brian Koppelman, who's uh, has a great podcast of his own, but he's an incredible writer. So Rounders co-wrote that, uh, Ocean's uh, 13, and then co-created Billions, which is a hit show on uh, Showtime right now. Fantastic. Uh, he's recommended Morning Pages to, he said, probably 100 people. 10 actually took him up on it and did it. And of those 10, something like nine have had multiple hits in on the stage, on television, and have sold screenplays, many of which have been made into films. So the percentage hit rate uh, is, is very, very high. I tend to use something called the Five Minute Journal quite a bit, which I also have no affiliation oh, with. Yeah. yeah, those guys are friends too. Yeah. Great yeah. journal. Right? Yeah, they're good guys. And it's, it's, it's really a way of, it, particularly in the morning pages, it's a way of locking your thinking on paper so that you can improve it in my mind. Well, there are two different, actually, purposes. The first, I would say, is purging your demons and anxieties and weird, undefined worries onto the page so you can see, A, how ridiculous they are, and to simply remove them from your mind for the majority of the day so you can get things done. And secondly, it's uh, I found it very helpful for problem solving because the emergency breaks of life, meaning these petty concerns or monsters that we've made out of molehills mentally that we think involve all these high stakes and consequences, once you put them on paper, you see that they have little or no consequences whatsoever, (laughs) or the risk is really low. Uh, And uh, writing for me is a way of developing and and, and, uh, refining my thinking, at least in the journal form. Generally, that's what I'm looking at. So that pops up a whole hell of a lot. Um, and you know, there, there are other weird things that people do in the morning. I remember one, Mike Birbiglia, who's a very, very successful, one of the world's most successful comedians in stand-up comics, also writes a lot in terms of screenplays. Uh, he realized he was putting off his screenplay. He was procrastinating. He would do anything but continue working on his screenplay, but he didn't procrastinate if he had a meeting. If he had a lunch meeting or a conference call, he was always early. And so he took, he took a post-it note and he told me when he was explaining this, he said, I'm embarrassed to even explain this because it seems so silly. He said he took a post-it note and on the post-it note, which he put next to his bed, it said, Mike, three exclamation points, you have a meeting with yourself at 7 a.m. at such and such coffee shop to work on your screenplay. And it actually worked for him. Uh, so there are these tiny little, there are these tiny little things like that. Uh, that are really small and the downside of testing them is very minimal, right? Or you take someone like a Noah Kagan, very successful entrepreneur, who uses uh, quite a few different technological tools to help him. So you might use a, a browser extension for, or it's called Facebook Newsfeed Eradicator. It just removes your Facebook Newsfeed. Uh, if you visit Facebook, which you still can do, you just can't look at your Newsfeed. And uh, things along these lines. Freedom is another one that Neil Strauss, eight-time New York Times bestselling author, Mm -hmm. has used to prevent his lesser self from getting lost on the internet when he's supposed to be writing. And he'll just then batch, meaning he'll open a separate document and list all the things he wants to research later using TK as a placeholder as he goes through so that when he's writing, he's writing, and when he's researching, he's researching. As opposed to getting two paragraphs in and being like, ah, 
you know what, like in your case, oh, that study, that citation will be on mitochondria <laughs> totally. and blah, blah, blah. Let me go to PubMed. And then two hours later, you're like, oh my God, I only have 30 <laughs> minutes left to write and I have two paragraphs <laughs> to avoid that whole problem. So Dude, you're friends with, uh, with Manish Sethi or you know Manish, the, the Pavlok guy that yeah, shot yeah, yourself yeah. I know, you go to Facebook? Yeah, 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 I know Manish. I know Ramit better than I know uh, Manish okay. probably, but I, I know both of them, yeah. Uh, have you played around with shocking yourself when you do things you don't like? Because Manish swears, but I think he's a bit crazy. I, I'm I'm an investor in his company. Yeah. Um, so like full disclosure and whatever, a very tiny investor because it was too funny not to invest in. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I haven't, uh, I haven't, uh, I've experienced it. So I've experienced the demo of his device. And I, I think there is something to it. Uh, I saw it very, very early on. So I think it is yeah. it has improved a lot. At the time, I wanted a software layer that would allow me to uh, involve slightly more complex behaviors. And with, ge- mm-hmm. with geolocation, I like the idea of being able to shock oneself um, based on location. So that if there are places you shouldn't visit, <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's an ice cream shop in San Francisco that is very close to my house. It's extremely famous. And I don't always get lost and <laughs> meander my way there. But uh, as a as a pattern interrupt, I was like, well, you know, maybe it would be helpful to get a little sh- a little buzz, like, hey, I'm about to punch you, and then a shock. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think there are some very interesting applications to it. Uh, particularly, I think if you can couple it with uh, addictions like nicotine addiction. Yeah. But um, I've been so focused, at least on breaking addiction, at looking at compounds like psilocybin and yeah. I- ibogaine. Uh-huh. Uh, less so LSD, but funding research at places like Johns Hopkins for that. So I've been taking a slightly different path in the same in the same, same arena. At this point, we're going to pause and end the first episode with Tim. We had enough time to get two full episodes in, so go on to iTunes and make sure you're subscribed to Bulletproof Radio. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. I'm always grateful for those, and it helps other people find the show. The next episode with Tim that you'll hear, we get to talk about some pretty cool stuff like ibogaine, which is a hallucinogen that's used for drug and alcohol addiction uh, treatment in a pretty meaningful way, and Tim's own experience uh, using this in a very unusual way. You'll also hear uh, about Tim's uh, wine consumption and some of the other nutritional hacks that he's used to make himself more alcohol tolerant. And of course, we are going to talk about Tim's experience with Lyme disease. If you're a long-time listener, you know that I had chronic Lyme disease for a long time. I actually don't believe that you get chronic Lyme without also having a, an exposure to toxic mold at the same time. Tim is fully recovered and is, is doing really well, and he talks about sort of the nine months of where his brain just didn't work. So it's pretty enlightening to see how you know, someone who, who definitely is also in the, the biohacking world uh, also dealt with something like this. So I think you'll learn a lot in this next episode, and you'll have a good time hearing it. And while we're at it, we talked about in this episode counting and the effect counting can have on your mental processes. You definitely should go to biohacked.com and check out the new NeuroMiner software. It's really cool. You get a one-year subscription, and if you use code BULLETPROOF, you can save $20 off of your subscription. This is software that teaches you to count and remember when you're in altered states. And we're using technology from Bill Harris of Centerpoint to help put you in an altered state using sound files. Very advanced technology, really cool stuff, stuff that I actually do myself that has helped me to tap into my creativity 
and my intuition. I didn't really plan to talk with, with Tim about counting, but it just kind of naturally came up. So I wanted to put this out there for you because if you're into improving the way your brain works, this is a new and very unusual type of technology. That's biohacked.com and the product is called Neurominer, N-E-U-R-O-M-I-N-E-R. Just use code BULLETPROOF and you can save uh, 20 bucks. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.